I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always emphasize that that was the essence of spirituality, that feeling of welcome, that feeling of love, that feeling of acceptance. So in that spirit, I welcome you. <clears throat> and satsang uh, is a special moment, uh, not just for everybody who comes, but also for me. I love satsang above all things, because in satsang, we contact the highest principle. We connect with that shakti, that spiritual energy, that divine energy, the energy of God, the energy of the self, the energy of highest consciousness. And this is a gift that we received from Baba. Baba told me a long time ago, hold satsangs, hold intensives. And he said that his shakti, his, his power would always be behind them. And so it's happened. So it's a, a great moment for me also every week when this happened. And I like to celebrate the great beings. I celebrate mostly my guru, Baba, and his guru, Bhagwan Nityananda, but I also celebrate all the great beings, the ones who have walked this path. You know, there are a lot of pathways in life. Uh, there's the path to more money, there's the path to uh, power, there's the path to fame, there's the path to celebrity, there are all these pathways that people walk. And there's one path that's hidden, that's esoteric, uh, that's unknown to the general population, and that's the inner path, the path of yoga, the path of the inner self. And this is the path that the great beings have walked. They've walked it to the end. They've struggled with all the tendencies of their minds, their negative emotions, their anger, their fear, their depression, and they've overcome it by inner means and contacted something deep within them, something true, something strong, something pure, deep within them, and they brought that out and they shine with that light. And because of that, there is a path for us to walk and they can guide us, we can, they become uh, torchbearers on that path. And so I salute them and I appreciate the great beings of all the traditions who have walked this inner path and who've reached the goal. It said in the scriptures that everyone will eventually reach the, uh, walk this path. Uh, not perhaps in this life, unfortunately, but maybe 7,000 lives from now. <clears throat> that everyone has to, because it's the discovery of our true nature. And whatever we are truly, we must eventually discover and become. That's the law of nature. It may take a long time. There may be some people who go right to it in, in a very short time. They have a feeling for it, probably because in past lives they've been working on it already. But other people have no idea about this, this uh, esoteric inner path. But the scriptures tell us very reassuringly that everyone will walk this path because we are that self that real nature, our real nature is this purity and this joy. And eventually it will pull us towards it. No matter how many false roads we go on, how many superficial roads, how many boring and mundane roads we go on, no matter how, 
how um, hypnotized we are by cultural presuppositions and and uh, the, general, the opinions of other people, eventually we get in touch with that which is true and that which is authentic within us. So I salute the great beings who show the way. And tonight, uh, one of my favorite ones, the first great being that I ever really heard about, maybe the second great being I heard about, the first one from the Indian tradition. And he is that little squirt. <laughs> this is uh, Juvenalia. This is Sri Ramana Maharshi when he was about 20. He's already attained the goal of yoga. Um, and his story, of course, uh, you, I, I always feel like the ancient mariner. I have to keep telling the story every time I talk about him. Uh, but it's an extraordinary story of spontaneously realizing the self when he was 16 years old. He never had a particular interest in it. He was religious, but suddenly uh, one afternoon he realized the self in about 20 minutes and he never lost it. And you should be so lucky. <laughs> and we should all be so lucky. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, and became, and he, after that he swiftly left home, went down to the holy mountain of Arunachala um, and then he was deeply absorbed in meditation for a couple of years and then came out of it and people saw that he was absolutely, he was obviously a great sage. The aura around him was so strong and his, his inner attainment was evident and they began flocking to him and he became uh, India, one of India's greatest sages of the 20th century. And this is what he looked at like in his mature years and the love and the compassion are very clear. And he taught the path of self-inquiry, of asking who am I and discovering it um, in its most profound sense. We always ask, we often ask the question, who am I? But if we're caught in the, uh, in the sort of the disease of cultural presuppositions, our answer is superficial. Who am I? I'm my career. Who am I? I am my body image. Who am I? I am my bank book. Who am I? I'm, I am my friends. Who am I? I am my achievements. Uh, but again, the spiritual path asks who am I in its most basic and most profound sense. And the goal of the question who am I points us to the true self, the self of, as consciousness that exists within. So here's, here's a dialogue with Sri Ramana from December 1937. He, uh, he was born in 1880 and he died in 1950. <clears throat> and he established a great ashram in South India which is still very vibrant today. So, and people started coming from all over the world uh, as the word got out about him. Um, so this is December of 1937. Uh, the writer says, being Christmas holidays, there's a great rush of visitors from far and near. A group of them sat down, and two among them asked the following questions. These are persistent people who are asking these questions. Devotee, do you know English? He didn't answer. 
but he prompted them to ask questions. So he said, oh, you'll keep asking. Apparently he, he knew English, spoke English. <clears throat> a question, have you realized yourself? That's called a direct question. <clears throat> I loved it when people asked Baba that question. I would never in a million years ask Baba a question remotely like that, but I always loved it when some naive person asked him that, and I would go, <clears throat> but I'd be terrified to ask that. So Sri Bhagavan smiled and said, go on, continue. No answer. Question, have you experienced nirvikalpa samadhi? Actually, I had a dialogue with Baba, something like this. Um, I'll tell you about. <clears throat> he was asked to finish his questions. Devotee, can you enter nirvikalpa samadhi at will? Of course, Nirvakalpa Samadhi is described by Patanjali as the, uh, the Samadhi with no Vikalpas, no thought forms. It's the highest state of trance, of inner meditation, where the mind becomes completely still. And because it's still, it can enter deep within. So this is Nirvakalpa Samadhi. It's one of the great states of yoga, of inner yoga. So he says, can you enter Nirvakalpa Samadhi at will? <clears throat> is it not necessary? Then he says, is it not necessary that sages should influence their surroundings? So he goes to, shouldn't sages have a political, social effect? Another man asks, can Bhagwan help us to realize the truth? Ramana finally spoke. <laughs> he said, help is always there. That's a very good thing to, to understand, that, that help is there. Only we have to look to it. We have to join ourselves. We have to make a certain effort to turn towards it. But that light is always there. <clears throat> Devotee, then there's no need to ask questions. I do not feel the ever-present help. <laughs> Romano's karma must have been such because devotees always complained to him. He had many whinging devotees. I do not feel, but he didn't want to answer. He's, you know, he didn't want to get involved, but Ramana says, surrender and you will find it. He says, I don't feel the help. He says, surrender and you'll feel it. You'll find that help. <clears throat> the devotee, I'm always at your feet. Will Bhagwan give us some upadesh to follow, some, some techniques, methods, spiritual teachings. Otherwise, how can I get help living 600 miles away? Because the devotee lives over in... Uh, uh, who knows where? Who knows where? Darwin. Where? Darwin. Darwin. Lives in Darwin. <laughs> Ramana says, the Satguru is within. So the Guru is within. The Guru principle. This is very interesting now, this dialogue. Devotee, I want a visible guru. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what a devotee should say. If the guru says something very like that, you tell them, I want a visible guru. And Ramana, who never ever admitted to be a guru, never admitted that he was a guru, came as close as he ever came right in this moment. 
He said, the visible guru says that he is within. It's a great moment. Ramana was so humble and so diffident that he would never claim anything. So if you ask him, have you attained that, he wouldn't even say it. Of course he had. He attained that in his first 20 minutes. <laughs> Devotee, can I throw myself at the mercy of the Satguru? Ramana. <laughs> Instruction, yes, he says, yes, he says, yes, you can do that. Instructions are necessary only so long as one has not surrendered oneself. Once you surrender, you don't need yoga or techniques or methods or anything. You just surrender. Everything comes. <clears throat> Devotee, is no particular time necessary for meditation? <laughs> it's gone from the sublime to the ridiculous. Like, <laughs> what, what time should I? You know, his mind is blown, so. <clears throat> Ramana says, meditation depends on strength of mind. This is interesting, too. It must be unceasing even while engaged in work. A particular time is meant for novices. Because we always tell uh, beginning meditators to establish a practice, meditate for 15 minutes. Uh, TM says meditate 20 minutes in the morning and the evening. And that's what you tell people. But then the higher level, higher understanding of meditation is that there is a constant connection with the self, whether you're meditating inwardly or moving in your life. And that connection is a higher samadhi than even nirvikalpa samadhi. That's called sahaja samadhi, or the, the natural state, where one is always in contact with the self. So, <clears throat> devotee, will Satguru place his hand on my head to assure me of his help? I will have the consolation that his promise will be fulfilled. So he's pushing it, isn't he? What will Ramana say? Ramana says, a bond will be the next requisition and a suit will be filed if you imagine no help forthcoming. <laughs> Thank you, pushing me. Uh, uh, devotee, may I come near, sir, for blessing? Uh, Sri Ramana, such doubts should not arise in you. They contradict your statement of surrender. Satguru is always on your head. Satguru is always there. Devotee, surrender comes after effort. He's having an argument with him, isn't he? Ramana says, yes, it becomes complete in due course. Devotee, is there any use of the man of realization for the seeker? So you're saying, you know, you're saying it's all in you, you know. So what's the use of a guru or of the realized being? And Ramana says, is there any use? Ramana says, yes. He helps you get rid of your delusion that you're not realized. <clears throat> Devotee, so tell me how. <clears throat> it's always interesting that his devotees are very persistent. They're very persistent, and they, it must be his sweetness uh, that they, they thought they could say anything to him, so they always push him around, and he just wants to say nothing. Because to him, it's all so obvious. It's just in front of you, so why all this talk? <clears throat> says, so tell me how. Ramana says, 
the paths are meant only to dehypnotize the individual. So this is the, the doctrine of recognition, that the only reason you do yoga is to get rid of what you haven't got, in Baba's words, which is ignorance. It's just to, to, to manifest what's really so, which is the self is there, and that's who you are. Devotee, very persistent. Dehypnotize me. Tell me what method to follow. Isn't this, you find that charming? <clears throat> is he a solid, vital, or peculiar? You think? He's a pu pushy. Yeah. Anyway. <clears throat> Tell me what method to follow. See Ramana. Okay, what is Ramana going to say now? Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's told them everything. But what's he going to say now, Ramana? Shut up. <laughs> huh? Shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's too polite. <laughs> Sri Ramana. Then he had the experience. Yeah, he says, "Where are you now? Where should you go? You're just there. You're there." Devotee, I know I am, but I do not know what I am. Ramana, are there two eyes then? One eye knows, you know, something, I, what does he know? He knows he is, but he doesn't know what he is. <clears throat> Devotee, this is really, it is begging the question. Begging the question is a phrase that's always misused, by the way. <laughs> this is my English teacher talking. Everyone thinks it begs the question means it pulls the question out. It says, but begging question means it's avoiding the question. That's the technical. So he's saying you're begging the question by saying this. You're avoiding it. Sri Ramana says, who says this? It is the one who is, <clears throat> or is it the one who does not know what he is? <laughs> says one, <laughs> you know. Devotee, I am, but I do not know what or how. This is a comic routine, actually. Ramana, I is always there. Devotee, does the I undergo any transformation, say in death? Ramana, who witnesses the transformation? Devotee, you seem to speak jnana yoga. This is jnana yoga, the, the path of wisdom. He said, oh, you see. Ramana says, yes, it is. Devotee, but surrender is bhakti yoga. He's an intellectual now. He says, you're speaking jnana, but, but when you say surrender, that's devotion. <clears throat> Sri Ramana, both are the same. After some time, the man continued. Then I have to conclude that I am consciousness and that nothing occurs except by my presence. That's a pretty good leap there. Ramana, it is one thing to conclude by reasoning and another thing to be convinced. So you should have the experience. The other man continued, I shall wait three months and see if help is forthcoming. <laughs> then I'll begin my lawsuit. <laughs> now, may I have your assurance? Ramana, is this what is asked by one who has surrendered? What an interesting thing. The four visitors retired. And the same man continued to say, 
Fulfill your promise. Everybody laughed. He also said, God has given me enough for bread and butter, and I am happy. In addition, I want peace of mind. Hence the request. That's the end of the dialogue. So what happened? Did anything get through? Yes. He apologized. Yeah. That he is apologizing for it, isn't he? Okay. Now we go to uh, my favorite devotee of Bhagwan, which is uh, uh, Suryagama. <clears throat> Surinagama. <clears throat> and uh, she's a... Uh, I've been drawing from her letters. She's a very extraordinary woman who was widowed at an extremely early age, and she got the bug for God-realization. She heard about Ramana, and she moved into the ashram uh, and lived there as long as uh, Ramana was alive till his death and beyond. And, and she wrote letters to her brother about things that are going on in the ashram. And she was uneducated, but incredibly perceptive. And so the letters are filled with wisdom and very amusing, too. <clears throat> so here's one about uh, Ramana's mother. She writes, this is in February 1949, so it's within a year, about a, 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 little, a little more than a year before his death. <clears throat> she writes, Arrangements are now in progress for the Kumba Abhishek. Uh, Abhishek, of course, when is sprinkling of sprinkling consecrated water uh, from a big pot on a deity or something. Uh, she goes on. This ceremony is performed when a temple is newly constructed, and the water is sprinkled over the tower of the temple with elaborate ceremonies. <clears throat> And some they usually put they put a gold dome on on the temple, and they have a big ceremony of opening it and consecrating it and so on. So um, Ramana's mother, uh, they built a uh, uh, they built a tomb for her. She had died years before, and they built a a samadhi tomb because she was a saintly person. Uh, so. First of all, we have Ramana and his mother. Let's let's see that. There's uh, her name is Alagama. There's Ramana and the mother. <clears throat> so she so Suri Nagama writes. Hence, conversation in Bhagwan's presence centered around Mother Alagama. This morning, the office staff brought a vessel containing sacred Ganges water and also a kamandala, an earthen or wooden pot used by ascetics, saying that some devotees sent them. Immediately after, Bhagwan began to tell us about some happenings from the path. From the past. Well, first of all, you have the temple. This is the, the way the temple was very beautiful temple where the mother is interred and you can have darshan. It's in the ashram. Um, <clears throat> so go on. So Ramana is now talking about uh, his mother and all these things. He says, when mother came to live with me, 
There's a very amusing story about when he disappeared. He disappeared from home. No one knew where he went. He didn't bother to tell them. And uh, so then after some time, word came that there was uh, a young sadhu, a young saint, who looked like, to fit the description, uh, who was living down there. And they sent the uncle to check and see if it was him. And it turned out it was Ramana. And after some time, the mother came and, and lived, uh, lived in the ashram and became an ashramite there and died there. Uh, and then they, she died, I think, in the 20s, and they built a temporary structure for darshan, but it wasn't until the late 40s that the, that temple you saw was, was completed. So anyway, when Mother came to live with me, I was in the Virupaksha cave itself. Now he, he didn't, he moved in different places on this hill. Uh, one is the Virupaksha cave. That was where he first was. That place, there was no water. She was therefore inconvenienced on that account. We used to have to go to Skandashram, another place on the hill, uh, to bathe as there was, no, there was a waterfall there. She was too old, you see, and she could not accompany us. So we had at the time two big kamandalas with us. We made one of them ourselves. The other, someone bought, brought and gave it to us. Each could hold a small potful of water. So a kamandala is a water pot, particularly uh, sadhus in India travel around. They usually have a yoga stick and a water pot. And they carry water in there because it can be very dry and dusty. They have water here and they have their yoga stick for meditating. Uh, and I, I found a picture of Baba with a kamandala during his sadhu days. And you can see what they're like. They got a little handle. There's Baba and Sadhu, and there's his Kamandala. I have a yoga stick, but I don't have a Kamandala. So I don't know what I'm going to do. Everybody has a Kamandala. These days, everyone carries it. That's right. <laughs> I wonder if the Sadhus in India are carrying those now. We'll have to investigate this matter. Wouldn't that be horrible? This is much better to have the little thing with them. They were, I, I used to examine them in India. They were just very strange uh, things. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> each, of, each, could, each of those, oh, I didn't take, each could hold a small uh, potful of water. <clears throat> I, I used to bring water in both of them carrying one in each hand. So he'd go to the skandhashram, stand under the waterfall, fill these two pots, and carry them back for his mother to bathe in. She used to sit down wearing a small cloth, and I used to pour the water over her head, just as we do Abhishek over an idol. So he did Abhishek for his mother. That is how she used to have a bath. Someone used to wash her cloth and bring it back. That was all. If water was brought in those two kamandalas, all her requirements used to be met. And uh, Suri Agama says, the kamandalas uh, would then be very large. Bhagwan says, yes, they were large. <clears throat> what has become of them now? 
asked some devotee, Bhagwan, one of them must be here. The other disappeared even while we were in the Skandashram. Uh, Vimalai Muruganā used to visit us even while we were in the Virupaksha cave. This is some fellow. <clears throat> After our residence was changed to the Skandashram, he came again. He had a loud voice and he was very fond of chit-chatting. He cast his eyes on that kamandalam. <laughs> he knew it was no good asking the manager and others, and so he approached mother. She was a simple soul. If anyone flattered her by saying that there was no one equal of her in the world, she used to give away whatever was asked of her. <laughs> he was clever enough to discover this. Mother, you've given birth to a diamond of a son. This is Ramana telling the story. There is no one equal to you in this world. Your son is a very great personage, unparalleled, and so on. After praising her like that for some time, he finally said, if you give me one kamandala, I will bring Ganges water back and I will use it for your abhishek. As soon as he said that, she was overjoyed and gave him the kamandala. He could not, however, bring Ganges water during her lifetime. But recently, that is about 12 years back, <laughs> he did bring Ganges water in that kamandala and performed Abhishek over mother's image, thus keeping his word. So Ramana is just reporting this very objectively. <clears throat> he says, that was the first time he had, uh, she had Abhishek performed with Ganges water. Subsequently, several people did Abhishek with Ganges water, but they brought it in small vessels, whereas he brought it in this large kamandalam. The kamandalams that we have just received are small in comparison. That's one story. You like that? <clears throat> okay, now we have uh, another one called Golden Armed. This is a really good one. From March 1949, <clears throat> Suri Nagama says, says, before I went to Bhagwan's presence this morning, Sundaresa Ayer appears to have handed over to Bhagwan a book which he was reading. So every morning he would go to see Bhagwan. She would go. And she's reading a book. Bhagwan uh, said, Look, the salutation Namo Hiranyabhav is here. Salutations to the gold armed one, the golden armed one. So she comes in and he says, Look, he calls to her because they're, they're very friendly, very intimate. He said, look, this, this thing is in here. I asked Bhagwan what that was about. Bhagwan said with a smile, you know, in my younger days, my friends called me Tangakai, the golden armed. <clears throat> in Namakam, Rudra has already got the name Hiranyabahu, the golden armed. Namakam is the Rudram which we chant here occasionally. Uh, and uh, uh, so one of the epithets there is the golden-armed. So he says, Ramana said he was called golden-armed. Why was he called the golden-armed one? <clears throat> he says, though this is repeated daily, the Rudram, during the chanting of the Vedas, 
no one has noticed it. Yesterday that name came to my mind unaccountably, and I told Sundaresa that the name was not a new one to me. He has now brought that book, devotee. How did Bhagwan get the name of Tangakai? Bhagwan, at all times and in all games, I used to win invariably, whether it was wrestling or swimming. <laughs> this is not exactly how you think of Ramadiya when he was a kid. Or even in doing domestic chores. That's why they called me Tangakai. My aunt began preparing papadums or such like. If my aunt began preparing, she would call me and ask me to put my hand on it first to bless it, right? She had great faith in me because I used to do everything according to her wishes and never told lies. I had to tell only one lie, and that was when I came here. Devotee, what was that? Bhagwan, when my brother asked me where I was going, he, had, he thought I'm going away, you know. I told him I was going to attend a special class in the school. <laughs> Ramana had such a pure life, he still hasn't gotten over this, you see. <laughs> After food, when I asked for the keys, I told my aunt the same thing. How could she know? She believed what I said when I said that. That's the same aunt that, called, that asked him to bless the food. Devotee, it means that Doing a great thing, sometimes, for doing a great thing, sometimes a lie has to be told. Because the great thing was that he came to, he went away to the hill, right? Bhagwan, yes, he says, when it's for the welfare of the world and when the exigencies of the situation demand it, it has to be done. <clears throat> it can't be helped. <clears throat> Where is the question of telling a lie? Some force makes one say so. So long as there is a purpose, there is need of action. When there's no purpose, no action is needed. In this way, we can avoid action in the same way as was done by the sage in the sage and hunter story in the Yoga Vashishta. So Ramana's got another story about a lie. <clears throat> Devotee, what's that story? Bhagwan, in a forest, the sage sat motionless and in silence. His eyes were open. A hunter hit a deer with his arrow, and as it was running away, he began pursuing it. When he saw the sage, he stopped. The deer had run in front of the sage and hidden itself in a bush nearby. The hunter could not see it, and so asked the sage, Swami, my deer has come running this way. Please tell me where exactly it has gone. The sage said he didn't know. It's a lie. The hunter said, it ran in front of you. Your eyes were open. How could you say you do not know? Now the sage uh, really gets deep into it. So to that the sage replied, oh, my friend, we are in the forest with universal equality. We do not have ahankar. We're beyond the ego. <clears throat> Unless you have ahankar, the ego, you cannot do things in the world. That ahankar is the mind. That mind does all things. It also makes all the sense organs work. We certainly have no mind. This is a very elaborate lie he's telling now. <clears throat> it disappeared long ago. I'm such a state that my, I don't have a mind. 
we do not have the three states, the states of waking, dream, and deep sleep. We're always in the fourth, Arturia state. That state, uh, in that state, nothing is seen by us. <laughs> that being so, what can we say about your deer? <laughs> so I'm always so high that I didn't see anything. <laughs> and Brahmana says, unable to understand what that sage was saying, the hunter went his way thinking, they're all the words of a madman. <laughs> no, he's just a liar. <laughs> okay. Let me see, what's this one? Let me have that. <clears throat> you want one more? Yeah? Okay. This is related to it. That's why I can do it. <clears throat> it's another on the 9th of March. What was the date of that one? 8th. What? Yeah. 8th of March, was it? Yeah, so this is the next day. She writes to the brother again, thinking of Bhagwan's nickname, the Golden Armed One, one or two similar events that had occurred previously came to my mind, and I'm writing to you about them. On the 18th of December last, when we had Bhagwan's birthday celebrations, Krishna Bhikshu wrote some verses in praise of Bhagwan. They were not read out on the, on the Jayanti day, on the birthday day. After the celebrations were over, I was asked to read them in Bhagwan's presence. They began with the idea, oh Ramana, this is a poet, local poet, Oh, Ramana, let your name, fame be everlasting. And ended with the idea, let your births be everlasting. When I read that last portion, Bhagwan said with a laugh and looked at the poet, he said, very nice. Am I continu to continue to have births? Are you wishing on me to be reborn? Bhikshu said, for our sake, oh, Ramana, they're having a, loving dialogue. You want me to be reborn? He says, only for our sake. Another devotee said, how is it that you have written like that? Instead of asking him to be with us in his body, how could you pray for him to be born again and again? Where is the question of another birth for Bhagwan? Turning towards Bhagwan, I said, Suri, what is wrong with asking Bhagwan to be born again? The scriptures say it is to save the good people. As I was saying so, Bhagwan took up the thread of the conversation and said, yes, that's true. And he quoted the Bhagavad Gita, which says uh, that, well, here's the verse, for the protection of the virtuous, for the destruction of evildoers, and for the establishing the Dharma, uh, the truth, on a firm footing, I am born from age to age, Krishna speaking. I am born, in other words, the great beings are born an age to age to keep the world from going too far downhill. <clears throat> Bhagwan said, so therefore I should continue to go on having births. Very good. I said, how could that be avoided? Bhagwan just nodded his head and was silent. The other story, she says, that was that one story, involves a devotee named Dr. Syed, 
who had been here for a long time doing sadhana, living in the ashram. He had asked Bhagwan a number of questions and got suitable replies. Even so, he was not able to have any spiritual experiences. One day came to Bhagwan in great grief and said, Bhagwan, even though you've shown me all possible ways of sadhana, methods of practice, I'm not able to gain in strength and spiritual experience. You must give me that strength. Otherwise, how can I get that strength? Same complaint, isn't it? Can't attain. Bhagwan said, you must get it by sadhana only. You gain strength by doing the practice, by doing sadhana. Who can help you in the matter? You have to do it. Doctor said, who else, Bhagwan? I must have Bhagwan as my guru for however many births I may have, and he alone should give me salvation. I do not want another guru any time, any yuga, any, any age. It is enough if you give me the promise that you will help me to attain salvation. And this touched Bhagwan. It was such an outpouring of devotion specific to him. Bhagwan appeared to be uh, visibly affected. He looked at him kindly, smiled, and placed his hand on his own cheek in his characteristic pose and leaned against the pillow and remained silent. I found uh, what must be that pose here. <clears throat> what, Bhagwan said Dr. Syed again. Bhagwan merely nodded his head and kept quiet. The devotee took it to be his blessing and he was satisfied. That's the story. So, there you go. Bhagwan Sri Ramana Maharshi. So let's do 10 minutes of meditation. Because he said we will not be able to uh, grow unless we do sadhana. And in sadhana, when we turn within, that's the essence of sadhana. And what the great sages say, and what the truth is, and what Shaivism says is that everything that they write about, everything they speak about, is within each of us. That within every one of us there's an ocean of love, an ocean of peace, an ocean of joy, an ocean of strength, there's great will, there's great wisdom. All of these are there, and they're clouded over by bad habits, by bad tendencies, by wrong understandings. And so the sadhana becomes overcoming those bad habits and bad tendencies and connecting to that truth that's ever within us. So we have to keep making that effort and connecting and then losing it and connecting and losing it and connecting. Meanwhile, the grace of the Guru is there. The grace of the Shakti is there. So we should always plunge deep inside with great optimism and great joy, with firm conviction that what the sages and the Gurus have said is true, true of each of us. Sometimes it's very hard to believe that that purity and that joy is actually within me because things seem so confused and so despairing. But we have to have faith and keep going and eventually we start to 
unwind, to start to unpack that. We start to experience the fruits of our sadhana. We don't go to Brahmana and complain that we're not having experiences. We become aware of that inner terrain and we can navigate that inner terrain and connect to that place. So let's meditate for 10 minutes. The goal of meditation is the inner self. And let's turn within. Close your eyes and have the understanding that within you there is peace and there's joy and there's love. There are all these things within you. And the chattering of your mind, Baba used to say, don't pay it much attention. We take our minds very seriously. Whatever our mind says, we jump. Our mind says, I'm no good, we believe it. The mind says, I'm a loser, we believe it. He'd say, don't pay it so much attention. Go connect to the self. Look to the self. There is this power, this joy, this place this clear space of good feeling within every one of us. And so let's meditate on that essence, meditate on the self. We'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satguna Maharaj Kija.